Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How's it going, folks? Ende here. So it is still international week, so we have no Celtic action to look at on this week's huddle breakdown. So we did something a little bit different. You may or may not have seen that we hosted a Twitter space last night to try to get some of your views. One brave listener was brave enough to put his voice to this week's podcast. So Neil McDonald will appear at some point throughout this podcast. Now, this was our first Twitter space. It may be the last Twitter space. It may not be. We don't know yet. If you like what was on this week's show, if you can drop us some feedback, either on the YouTube channel or on the Twitter um, off the Huddle Breakdown that would be much obliged. We would really appreciate some feedback on whether or not you want us to continue with those Twitter spaces or if you want to just continue on with the regular format of uh, YouTube and podcast. Um, if you do want us to continue on the Twitter space, do get involved when we do host them. But that's what this week is. We talk a little bit about the international setup, about the RB Leipzig game coming up in the Champions League and the future of the SPFL when it comes to uh, finance and what happens when the pound drops as dramatically as it did. So that's the structure of today's show. The audio will sound a little bit different to uh, the normal podcast audio because it's not over the mic, it's over your phone. So if you're wondering why it sounds a little bit different to normal weeks, that's why. So enough of my rambling, let's get into this week's Hello Breakdown, which was hosted on Twitter Spaces. Enjoy. Okay, so I think we have all three of us up and running now. Sorry about the wait to everybody who has been waiting along and waiting for us to get going. A few technical difficulties on our first attempt at this. Um, but we do have Alan Morrison and we do have Juco James up on the line now. Uh, Alan, firstly, Scotland got the better of Ireland. Uh, I have to give you that. It, it did hurt a little bit more that Ryan Christie was involved in two of the goals. Yeah, no, listen, it was uh, it was quite some game. It was a classic uh, game of two halves, right? Um, I thought Ireland controlled the game completely, pretty much, uh, in that first half. Um, and then Scotland kind of, you know, got control in the second half. I think in the first half, you know, the, the Irish, they played a very solid, a bit like St Mirren in, in all respects, in terms of the way they were set up with the three at the back, three big centre-halves, five hard-working midfielders, and then two guys up front that were just, you know, crashing into people and making life as difficult as they could. And having said all that, they played a lot of good football as well, right? They actually, I thought they were quite, I was quite impressed with how, how they were playing it out from the back. They seemed to have more athleticism and physicality in Scotland as well. Um, I was looking through as the game was going on because I didn't rec- I didn't know a lot of the players, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm thinking, hmm, this is essentially a Preston North End and West Brom select that we're getting, to- <laughs> that we're- that we're getting hammered by here. Uh, and I, was, I, thought, I looked through the Scotland team and I thought, well, apart from Lyndon Dykes, these are all Premier League players or they play for Celtic, which is, I think, you know, pretty much the same thing. So I think, in all honesty, that first half was pretty embarrassing for Scotland in terms of, you know, the level at which that team, you know, difficulties that they gave Scotland. But then in the second half, what happened was we started to get the ball forward a lot quicker. Uh, and actually, Greg Taylor made a huge difference because he started taking up the positions that he takes up for Celtic and he started getting, you know, in the half spaces and between the lines. In, and I think it disrupted the Irish players. They weren't used to dealing with that unusual movement. And I think they started to get pulled all over the place. And then, you know, Armstrong and Christie were then able to to get a lot more involved and get on the ball in, in more dangerous areas. And in the end, you know, for Scotland to come back from being a goal down to win was, was a, a you know, good 
good good character, I guess you'd call it. But um, really, it was the fact they started to execute the game plan better in the second half. And I think the Irish got a little bit tired as the game went on. They put a lot into it physically. But, uh, you know, cr- credit to them. Because it's, essentially, it's a championship-level team playing against a Premier League team. And, you know, as I said, I'm not, not trying to be patronising. They're genuinely they were the better team for 45 minutes. Absolutely no doubt about that. So I think there's a lot of foundation there in terms of what Kenny's trying to do. Yeah, I think um, the average age of the Irish side was uh, 23 years old overall. Um, so we're very much at a different stage of our progression as the Scotland side are. And you can really see things starting to click under Steve Clark at a very, very good time. Um, going up into the, the first division of the Nations League is actually quite good. And um, even though I think a lot of people do get frustrated by Steve Clark's football at times, especially when the result doesn't go its way, um, it's very much suited to um, international football. But the the difference was that Scotland were bringing off, uh, bringing on like Greg Taylor, who played against Real Madrid in the Champions League a couple of weeks ago, versus Ireland, who you know Ogbeni, who was our best sub, arguably could have been starting that game, is Rotherham's current striker so I mean yeah. that's it's the levels of uh, the two teams so, <laughs> I mean he, he, um, I know I know a lot of Rotherham fans that my, my, my daughter plays for a football team in Rotherham and uh, I've never even heard of Ogbeni from them <laughs> it's not like they were going oh we've got this guy Ogbeni and he's really really good and I'm thinking mm, if, not, if I've not heard about him from them then you know uh, that's probably not a good thing mm-hmm. <laughs> but listen I mean I, well, I think you know International football is is I think you're absolutely spot on. International football is is for defensive managers, and the, and the reason that I say that is because just the, the sheer time that you get with the, the teams, it's a hell of a lot easier, as I've said before, to set up a team to be defensively solid than it is to uh, come up with intricate attacking patterns. The best attacking teams tend to create a defensive structure, and then if you've got Mbappe or Messi or, or Neymar or whatever, you just like you just let them get on with it. Give them, but you give them a structure. But what most international teams do is is they go defensive because, and that's why international football is generally so dull because uh, it, it's a very defensive game in, by by nature. Uh, it suits Steve Clark down to the ground. He's a defensive coach. He's very good at setting up defenses. You know that was a real patchwork side. Yeah, and I think it'll come to fruition. Uh, Steve Clark's a manager who can get results with you know, teams who aren't necessarily at the level that the opponent that they're playing against. Um, I think that's fair to say with his club career. So I'm very interested to see what Scotland do um, next time around at a major tournament under Clark, um, because I think it'll be better than the previous one, if you know what I mean, now that the, the team has kind of cemented together a wee bit more. But anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, international football or Ireland or Scotland. We're here to talk about Celtic. Um, and we're going to open it up to the floor essentially tonight because... Um, you know there hasn't been any matches there is a match this weekend if you do want to talk on tonight's show um, do put up your hand we'll try to get to as many people as possible doesn't have to necessarily be on any specific topic I'm probably going to take a back seat uh, to the two guys this evening if you want to ask a couple of questions uh, do feel free to stick up your hand and we'll we'll try to field as many questions as we can in the next um, hour or so uh, Chico James uh, we've left you in the background there I know the USA are also playing international football, but who cares about that, really? Well, to Alan's point, they're going the exact opposite route, as he just said that people should be going. So um, that was uh, played out relative to uh, losing to Japan 2-0 and a horrible draw against Saudi Arabia. So were any of the guys playing against the USA in that game for Japan? Uh, Yeah, Maeda played uh, the first half. And game, um, uh, I think that was it. I think that was it. I actually didn't get to see much of either of them. I've been a little busy with, uh, uh, you know, the pound sterling collapsing and various other things in my day job. But, um, but yeah, so it was um, pr- pretty turgid, as they would say. I'm not terribly optimistic about the U.S. heading into the World Cup. Yeah, um, I mean, I think Canada is actually the where you want to be if you're you're talking about international football rising. They or or Jamaica, they're robbing all of the the players that Gareth Southgate doesn't want to play for for England and has Jamaican uh, roots. So they're going to be pretty exciting over the next couple of years. Um, let's talk about some club football. There were a lot of uh, Celtic players in an international duty over the week. 
Um, I know Giacomacchus had a bit of a an injury scare and a couple other players as well. Uh, Lila Bada was actually dropped down to the 21s for Israel to play against Ireland in the playoff, which yeah, I think that's, that's rather unfair on the Irish under-21s as well. Um, and Matt O'Reilly got a goal for Denmark's uh, under-21s as well. So a, a lot of uh, Celtic players in action over the course of the week. But we get back to club action this weekend, guys, um, against Motherwell on Saturday. Uh, one thing that should be noted, I guess, for this game is that um, it's a home game against Motherwell and we have until Wednesday then to rest up until uh, the Champions League game against RB Leipzig away. The mistake that Ange made before the international window was making too many changes at once. Um, are we going to see a restoring of the old guard, to uh, put it that way, uh, this weekend? Are we going to see Celtic's strongest team, knowing that we don't uh, need to rest these players now uh, ahead of the Champions League game? Well, I, I, don't, I don't. I'm not sure. It was just the fact that he made changes. It was just the, the wrong combination of players. Uh, in in theory, any of the players coming in should be able to do do a job. It was just too many similar players ending up, you know, with a with a, a, a too a too slow and pedestrian midfield. Allied to, you know, as I say, St. Mirren having 15 days to prepare for that very moment and to spend 90 minutes, you know, concentrating on what they'd worked on for for two weeks and and doing it incredibly well. And and actually, Motherwell, I don't. I'm just looking through their team. Um, I don't know that they will have had any. They may have had one or two under 21s. I don't know, but I'm thinking so playing international football is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I, I was actually going to interject, but I didn't want to bring it back to good, international good, no, football again. Um, I presume you haven't seen Ross Tierney's uh, overhead bicycle uh, volley no, that, from the no. edge of the box, and um, it was not in a match; it was in training. But if you just uh, <laughs> anybody anybody who hasn't seen it, it, it was doing the rounds. Uh, just look up Ross Tierney on Twitter, that, and you'll, you'll see the the goal he scored ahead of the game. I think it was a training match before the match, uh, before the the night before the match. It was like <laughs> the most incredible goal you'll ever ever see from, uh, you know, a player that age. Uh, although it wasn't training. Is that, is that where we are with Ireland? And uh, it's 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 trending on training goals now. Is that, is, is that as good as it gets? I will, I will take whatever I get. <laughs> yeah. So listen. So I mean, Tierney's he's not he started a couple of games for them the last two games, I guess. So maybe he is a starter now. But I'm thinking we're, we're going to be in a similar position where that the vast majority of Motherwell squad have been together the last two weeks preparing precisely for uh, this match. So they'll have a game plan. Um, you know they had a great start to the season, won three out of the first four games, but then they've lost you know two out of the last three. Um, but you know they're they're a decent team as well. So uh, you know I think we need to be prepared to to play um, in the way that you know as Andrew always says the opposition being at their best, we have to we have to do that. So I don't I don't I don't I think a lot of it's going to be depend on on who comes back in what state from the internationals because it sounds like we've had a lot of. Um, knocks and scrapes and people going off and you know people being rested or not being deemed fit enough so goodness knows what shape people are going to come come back in so i i have no idea what what the um what what the the lineup's going to be but i i would guess it'll be as strong as it can be james do you want to come in on the the motherwell game this weekend um and if if anybody does want to get their opinion heard um, ahead of the do stick up your hand and we'll, we'll try to get so, somebody in on this as well but um, the trend for Ange so far has been when we've had a considerable break there has been a lot of work done to the issues that were uh, had, had come previous are you expecting similar enough? Yeah I mean I, again we, we talked about how that St. Mirren game was um, irregular in the sense that they were so well prepared and um, executed their game plan so efficiently and effectively. Um, I guess it's possible that uh, Motherwell could match that, but that has not been the case in the past. Uh, they've been a little bit more um, uh, ambitious, shall we say, in in um, confronting the challenge of, of playing against us. Um, so they, they've actually been pretty good this year so far. Um, you know, even their underlying performance uh, figures have been pretty decent. So, uh, it, but it, it, with it being at Celtic Park, unless they're going to really follow the game plan that that um, St. Mirren did, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot to work on necessarily relative to playing against Motherwell. I, a lot more anxiety and 
concerns about what what it looks like heading into Wednesday, uh, potentially. So, um, I, I you know if we do if we do have issues against Motherwell, I think that would be more alarming because all of a sudden now you just you know you had a data point with uh, one game with uh, with Saint Marin, and if somebody else kind of replicates that kind of performance against us at home, that would be more concerning. I'd be surprised if many teams have the fitness levels to do that. I think that's what was most surprising about the St. Marin uh, result was that St. Marin were actually able to keep up with Celtic for the uh, the course of the entire game. And I, with the break that a lot of players have had, I don't think see that happening. Uh, Alan, this could be... I, I don't like being disrespectful to any of the oppositions, especially, you know, you can get results like St. Marin. Um, but Motherwell haven't haven't been a team that have troubled Celtic too much. Is it too far to say that this should be a game where Celtic target as uh, working on the things that they're going to do against Leipzig um, next Wednesday? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Motherwell is going to be a good proxy for Leipzig. In not in terms of, of the work. talent, not in terms no. of obviously the quality, but in terms of game plan, positioning, things that you want to pull off, triggers, things like that. I I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even suggest that, to be honest. I think there's a there's a game to be won here. If you look at Motherwell so far this season, they've actually got the third best expected goal difference in the league. Uh, you know, so it's better than Hearts and and better than Aberdeen and and so forth. Um, and they, they 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 create more big chances than any other team in the league, apart from the top two as well. So they've had a pretty good start to the season, I would say. And I think you know the priority is just to win that win that match. Get three points. That really is is, is all, all it's about. I think uh, Wednesday will take care of itself. I think it's going to be a completely uh, different set of uh, you know problems to face in that match. I don't think Motherwell is a good proxy for trying to solve the problems we'll have to solve on on Wednesday. I think it'll be a different set of problems, uh, and I think that it needs to be taken seriously and not to be taken lightly. I think they're, they're you know I, I saw their game against Aberdeen. They were brilliant in that match. They won at Pataudry three uh, two. Um, they've got real attacking threat, uh, and as I say, the, the numbers back that up in the league. They're, they're, they are the third best attacking team in the league at the moment. So I think we've just got to win that game, and then we'll then we'll have to deal with we'll deal with what comes on Wednesday. Matt O'Reilly comes back into the midfield for you. <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> uh, yeah, without, without without a doubt. Again, I, I, you know, I would go as strong as as go as strong as we can. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure the team can can manage. Um, you know, a lot of players won't have played, I mean, apart from Callum, Callum McGregor. I mean, he's the only one that I would actually, you know, do de-arrest him because he's just had three gruelling 90 minutes. I mean, when I saw him sprinting up the pitch to support Lyndon Dykes in the 90th minute against Ukraine, I'm thinking, Craig, <laughs> you know, what, what gives? Because it has to at some point. Um, he's the only one I'd be worried about. I don't, I don't think many of the others had meaningfully large minutes it'll just be traveling and then any any knock sort of thing so i would mainly go with the you know the um you know the, the 11 that will likely start against leipzig to be honest just in terms of getting into a rhythm get like you say getting into getting into the patterns again so although the the game won't teach us much in terms of leipzig it's just good to get into the rhythms good to get into the timing of movements and and so forth but you know, the only one i'd worry about is mcgregor because he as i say he put in Three incredible shifts over those three games. He was so good against Ireland as well. And <clears throat> I'm trying to avoid like just turning this into the Ireland Scotland review, but when you, I, <laughs> well, I it was even worse. It was, I mean, it was it was worse. It was worse on Wednesday because I'm, mean, you know, he was he, he was basically having to be the legs for McLean and Jack, which is just horrendous. Yeah. You know, he was covering. He was having to cover so much ground. I think I think it is interesting, though, watching Celtic players play for different teams, play for their international setups, because you, you really see the level that they're at in comparison to other players who might not potentially be at that level, like Cal McGregor versus the Irish midfield, for example. Like people sometimes don't rate the Scottish league, but if you're not rating Cal McGregor after uh, the performance he put in, I'm not sure really what what kind of football match you're you're watching. Um, James. In terms of the Celtic starting lineup, the argument keeps uh, propping up with this forward line that we have in terms of the combination, what the best one is. Uh, for me, it's Kyogo, Jota, and 
probably Abada at this point because I just think Abada is more of a goal threat. Um, is that what you would go for in this game? Is that what you think the consensus might be? Um, or would Maeda's work rate come into your estimations? Yeah, I, I think um, some of that has to do with the game plan. So if we're, we, we talked about this last week, if we're going to um, kind of persist with a little bit lower intensity, and again, I'm not talking low intensity on an absolute basis, but uh, lower relative to what we were last year um, or last season, I, I could see an argument for about a over Maeda. Um, I, what's the latest on Haksabanovich? I know he came off injured. What's the word on him? Anyone know? No, no one knows. Yeah. Um, so I, I haven't heard anything there. Um, I, Car- Carter Vickers, I'm not sure he, he had the in, an injury too. So I don't know if there's an update on him, but maybe we'll get those in, in advance of the game here against Motherwell. But um, so, yeah, I, to me, it's horses for courses. I mean, that there's any of those three, I think are fine. Um, any mixture of those three with Jota and, and Kyogo, um, I don't have any real issue with any of them, to be honest with you. It, it's a question of, again, this is the luxury now, is uh, trying to optimize a little bit depending on what the game plan is relative to the opponent and who might have a little bit on the margin, um, maybe a, a, a bit of a strength in how they fit into that puzzle. But, um, you know, it's good to have those options. Once again, if anybody wants to talk, uh, please do put up your hand. I see a, a couple of regular listeners in there as well. So if you just want to have your say on any of the chat, just stick up your hand and we'll, we'll get you in. And we want to field some of your questions as well. So if you want to ask us any questions. Don't just, don't be shy. This is, this is yeah. easy stuff. We're not going to uh, talk anything uh, spreadsheet shagging. So don't be shy. In terms of the game on Wednesday then, that's grandiose this stuff in a way fixture against a team that Celtic have gotten the better of um, before. And I don't know, the, as the weeks go on, I'm just thinking, I think I actually fancy these. I don't know what's, what's maybe it's watching Timo <laughs> Werner uh, kick the ball into the side net multiple times against England or a loose touch here or there. I just think that, they, yes, they're obviously going to, you know, be dangerous, but I don't know. I, I think Celtic could actually get a result here in Leipzig, especially with the prolonged break that they've had now to work on things. Yeah, well, I, you'd like to think. I mean, it's funny. I saw the comments about Timo Werner after the uh, England Germany match, and but, but what 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 actually happened to, in my eyes in that game is that Werner came on and he stretched the English defence with his pace, and it, and he created space all over the place for other people. And although he's not the most technically gifted footballer, he, he caused problems just because just by, by running into channels, running into places that uh, previously, you know, uh, Havertz hadn't done. And, and Havertz could actually drop off, which I think he's better in that 10, spa- 10 position uh, and was able to link the play better. And, and you know, they, 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 they then had a lot of success that way. So I think Werner, Werner changed the game for Germany in Germany's way. Uh, directions in the same way as Greg Taylor changed the game against Ireland. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Um, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I, you know, listen, you, you can't, it's the one thing that's very difficult to defend against is, is raw pace, and they're going to have a lot of that within Kunku as well. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a challenge uh, for Celtic. It's a completely different set of challenges. You're going to be playing as a team who also are going to have a very high line and the game is going to be chaotic uh, because of that, because the game's going to get compressed into a very into a very small area, and then it's it becomes you know technically decision making who can who can get the ball under control under a lot of pressure can get the ball forward can make a channel run can not be offside can time their their run perfectly etc. It becomes almost a like a, a you know a shooting match into a random sort of a random thing, um, but a bit like the game at Celtic Park was when we, we won two one, um, and, and Christie for example absolutely thrived in that match because that's exactly his kind of game that chaos where. Lots of running around and trying, trying off the cuff things. It was actually, you know, in keeping with the spirit of the game, which is what he's. I think he's he's good at. So it's going to be one where again, on our side, we do have pace. Um, you know, it, it could be a game where where um, you know Maeda is is useful again, just because he will take the defenders into places you don't want to go. He will be that constant threat over the top. 
uh, you know, Kyogo would undoubtedly play if he's fit. And, and obviously Jota's got, got pace as well. So I think there's there's danger in it for both sides in terms of playing that high line. Um, I would like to think that, you know, I doubt that uh, Rosa has had much time with his squad since he took over. Um, and although I imagine the players are probably quite comfortable with the way he's asking them to play, um, you know, he's he, he's gonna, there's going to be some new players there for him to deal with. And I suspect most of them are away during the international break because it's a it's a pretty packed squad of talented players. So, you know, the, the hope is that you know they're they're a little bit undercooked in terms of um, their preparation based on having a new manager. Uh, that, that that's that's the I think Celtic's main main hope really. Um, but I think we just need, we need to be bold. We need to stick to plan. We need to execute well. And if we do all those things, I think we've got a, a fair chance. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty ironic that the year that Bayern seemed to be collapsing in the Bundesliga that RB Leipzig who have been challenging for so long are, um, are, are have had a, a pretty awful start to the season domestically as well um, you know, maybe this might be a year for the domestic dominance to come come to an end for Bayern Munich but we'll wait and see what ha- what happens down the, down the line uh, James I know you are a follower let's say of the uh, Red Bull model and that uh, you've done a lot of um, analysis on on both teams. I know you're more of a fan of the Salzburg uh, version of this project, but do you want to talk us through Leipzig and what they've been doing over the last uh, couple of months? Yeah, so I think to Alan's point, um, and this is partly why I've preferred the Salzburg model is because they're fairly rigid in their um, discipline as far as how they're executing their kind of strategic game plan. Um, whereas Leipzig's been a little more manager-centric. So their managers that have come in um, have had a little bit more uh, sway and changing things up. And as Alan rightly pointed out, that didn't work out real well with Tedesco. Um, And, you know, certainly a a, a change and a shift, meaning that a a change in how they played a little bit and then uh, a shift in probably quality down from Nagelsmann. Um, So... You know, it, 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 it's a less um, stable version of kind of this Red Bull model. and uh, But the, some of the mechanics, and I, from what I've seen so far and some of the, the underlying data that I've looked at, that under Rose, they have kind of reverted back in that direction. Um, I don't know Rose's career. I haven't analyzed it close enough that he, if he's going to be more of a Red Bull-style purist or um, – just kind of a, a shift closer, but I mean, basically, um, you know, as, as Alan said, they're, they're, they're chaos merchants. I mean, that, that that's to sum it up. That's what they excel at is they get it in and they mix it up and they're very um, direct at times trying to get the ball forward. Um, they're not all that worried about losing possession because they see that as a counter pressing opportunity. Um, so the more times you turn the ball over trying to make something happen, the more times that you can counter press and win the ball back quickly and strike at your opponent when they're disorganized in that quick, uh, period of time in, in, as possession turns over and transition. And, um, so, you know, that they're not rigid about that, meaning that what was interesting, and I, I did an analysis this week that I wrote about, how Rose approached the Madrid game, the Real Madrid game in in Madrid, they were actually far more um, back in their defensive line. They kind of absorbed more pressure against um, Real Madrid. Um, their, their defensive line was actually comparable to what St. Mirren's was <laughs> against us on Sunday. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a really interesting contrast how – I would presume Ange is going to set up, meaning that against, you know, again, it was at home. It wasn't in Spain, but um, our, our line against Madrid was far more advanced. Um, but within that context, uh, Red Bull Leipzig was able to do a lot more defending in that smaller amount of space, meaning that they were just much more active in successful in pressuring uh, Real Madrid. Um, and that, you know, that, resulted in them um, conceding about 60% lower XG against uh, Real Madrid. 
Um, I think there was about, you know, the XG was about one, whereas ours was about two, two and a half against that we conceded against um, Real Madrid. So I, I suspect and if you contrast that with how they played against Shakhtar, they were way forward. Now that was in the prior, under the prior manager. So, but in their domestic games with Rose at, at the charge, they've also been high with a high line. And that's also kind of the Red Bull model. So I would expect this to be leaning more towards them playing against Shakhtar, two teams, both playing high lines, a lot of um, transitions, a lot of possession being won back and, and lost. And to Alan's point, I mean, for us, that should create a lot of attacking opportunities. Um, and if we get a little bit of luck thrown in, some positive variance, you know, we should be able to create some chances against them. I'm more concerned about our ability to uh, limit their chances, um, given their athleticism, given really just the different level of intensity with that um, athleticism to, to press and counter press. Because um, our, our back five has not been tested with this kind of challenge. Um, Shakhtar was very passive. Madrid's, that's, that's not their strength. They're not very aggressive in that regard. Um, obviously way more technical and talented. Uh, they, they basically swatted away uh, Leipzig's press as well as they did ours um, because of how much quality they have. But um, yeah, we, we, we don't have their back line. <laughs> um, their, their back five uh, has that calmness and that ability on the ball. And I, I think it's going to be a huge test for our back five as far as how they're able to build out from the back. Um, yeah. So that, that's probably my biggest concern. Yeah, big time. Uh, we have a request here from Neil Mack, so I'm going to open up the floor and hopefully he'll be able to talk to us now in just one sec. Come on ahead, Neil. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Neil, if you want to hit, yep, yeah, there you go, Neil. Yeah, sorry, I was trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah, cool. So uh, my question is actually uh, came from you talking about Leipzig and the European stuff. I've been obviously worried about this uh, extraordinary crashing of the pound scenario. Now, I wondered what effect that's likely to have on Celtic. Obviously, in the long term, a weak pound is bad for recruiting foreign players and so on. Um, but um, if a big proportion of our income in a given year is from the euro, as it were, uh, then being relatively weak against the euro seems to kind of balance that somewhat. So I, I don't know how to balance all of that together. Certainly long term, it's bad. But if we go through 
a bad shock of a year or so. How bad is that for Celtic in terms of in terms of our proportional uh, earnings and other currencies and such like? This is definitely a James question. <laughs> yeah, that that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, that is, a, it's a great question, and you you characterize it very um, very well because of the issue of of uh, the euro's role in this as well. Um, again, this this is just my opinion, um, my analysis in that area. I, I suspect that uh, the the type of crisis that is right now in the UK with the the currency and what just happened this morning with the Bank of England. Um, buying bonds to try and keep their your interest rates from going completely berserk. Uh, I suspect that's probably coming still for um, the eurozone, given what's uh, facing Germany and um, with what just happened in the elections in Italy. So um, I'm not sure that the euro is going to stay as strong as it is right now relative to sterling. Uh, now, how they do relative to other things is another <laughs> separate question. It's I, to me uh, the metaphor I use is it's kind of like um, you know two people jumping up and down on an elevator that are going down. <laughs> uh, if the whole elevator is going down at any given time relative to the person in the elevator you're with, <laughs> you might be higher than them. Um, and and I think that's basically where um, UK and and the eurozone currencies are at this point. But you know, generally it's a kind of um, you know, as your currency debases and goes down, um, you know, other leagues start to look attractive, even something as crazy as MLS. Uh, you know, you start to see all of a sudden, you know, uh, with a strong currency, uh, teams could get more competitive on on the compensation side. Uh, and then there's just expenses, I mean, just generally expenses to operate a club like Celtic wages going up from, uh, employees, even non-football employees, the power bill to, to run those lights on Champions League nights. I mean, these are huge numbers that as, as uh, inflation goes up and a currency goes down. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not good. But, you know, p- part of the, the issue is that most of the other clubs are going to be facing the similar situations. So this is not an abstraction specific to, to Celtic. Um within the UK, but obviously, as I mentioned, most of the clubs in Europe, I think, are going to be facing similar problems as the Euro keeps having its issues. So I'd say that the risks are probably more, um, you know, outside of the European bloc and and uh, the UK, and that's probably more of a, like a five to ten rather than we got to worry about it like this year or next year or, you know, the next two years. Sorry, James. Oh, sorry, on you go, home. Sorry, sorry to cut across you. Just, I'd also add, um, you know, I'm, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm asking, not, not telling, really. So, I guess being a club that, you know, has got, you know, at, at the beginning of the football season, over thirty million in the bank, um, you know, in terms of being able to buffer some of the, some of the, you know, the the strong, strong winds to come, as it were, uh, and also just the, you know, the, the way that the Celtic are structured, we're not dependent upon a few wealthy business people who's <laughs> whose own businesses may be struggling, for example, um, you know, to put it into context of Scotland, I, I agree, we're, we're still on the elevator, but, um, you know, relatively speaking, so, you know, based on the results that Celtic uh, posted a couple of weeks ago, in, in a reasonably strong position, at least domestically, would you say? 100%, 1,000%. Um, that Just like heading into the pandemic, having... Um, cash reserves like that and liquidity becomes of paramount importance as um, crisis occurs, whether that's financial crisis, like we've kind of seen acutely in the UK uh, in the last couple of weeks, or, you know, probably more broadly, what I'm concerned about is economic crisis that's going to emerge in the context of a synchronized global recession. Uh, And just to put that into perspective, we, we, there has not been a synchronized global recession since 1981-82. They, they are fairly infrequent. Um, they are a bit of a different animal. So, yeah, the, you know, for, for clubs that are relying on rich individuals that have outside business interests, 
Um, they may not have capital to, and this is not unique to clubs in Scotland. There's, you know, t- clubs in the championship in England, league one, league two. I mean, the, the financial realities of the vast majority of football clubs in the UK is, is a disaster. Um, and if you have benefactors that have been financing, uh, a, a flawed business model, um, through their own business interests being successful, uh, in the context of a global recession, a lot of those may not be able to sustain that and persist. Uh, so a, a club like Celtic, number one, can weather it. But what that also does, if, if they're smart about it, is that creates optionality for that cash. They can pick off distressed assets in other, you know, other clubs that need to sell players, for example, maybe in, in the January window because they've hit a, a financial wall, uh, so to speak, because of what's going on. Um you know, so that, yeah, that, that's, I think they say that's why the, uh, the Chinese symbol for, uh, for opportunity and crisis is the same thing or, you know, the yin and yang type of thing. Um, and, and that's, that's what the liquidity does. You get that option, optionality of the cash and you can deploy, deploy it when other people are freaking out and have to sell for some reason, um, leverage or, you know, um, to meet operating uh, obligations like I suspect a lot of UK clubs will have to in the next 12 months. N- Neil, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, it was, it, it was actually, I guess, along the same lines as Alan, which is I was thinking of a specific other club uh, who, might, who, might, uh, who might not want uh, debt to become much more expensive all of a sudden. Um, and uh, I wondered who... Who out there might be vulnerable, uh, exactly as, as you're saying, having 30 million in the banks from a bad thing. Um, but who might be particularly vulnerable out there? And I guess uh, we are looking across the city and wondering what problems might arise for them if they're. Uh, although I understand they've not been taking debt so much, they've just been doing this this um, equity um, dilution thing. Uh, but if the if that if the tax draw closed on that and they need to get debt, then it's it's, it's not been this expensive in a decade. So. Yeah, who's, who's yeah I, I so I think that because um, Alan and I talked about this a while back um, that they had basically gambled to get to where they did get to happen before something like this happened, right? So if this was twelve months ago and um, this crisis and global recession was direct ahead, I'd say that that would been a potential existential risk. Um, for for teams that were in that kind of financial situation. I think because of um, the player sales and qualifying for the Champions League, um, that probably creates enough liquidity that that kind of existential risk is probably um, reduced dramatically. Uh, and then it becomes just one of, of um, competitiveness, meaning that, you know, they've been running same as we have actually at an operating deficit, a larger one. But when you, when you look at Celtics core business, I mean, exclusive of player sales, when we don't qualify for the champions league, we actually run at a deficit. We have to be selling players in order to maintain the spending that we've had uh, on a salary basis. Um, And, you know, I, I think that becomes the issue is it, you know, um, with two teams in the league and only one of them, you know, effectively two teams in the league that are likely to win. If you don't win the league and you don't qualify for Champions League, then all of a sudden you create a huge potential risk that you have to cut um, payroll player wages in order to, um, you know, balance the books. And to your point, Neil, the access to outside capital, the cost, whether it's bank lending or, you know, non-bank lending, um, not only are rates going up, but spreads are going out. So the cost, the, the premium that people are charging for lower credit quality um, borrowers is, is also going up. So it's like a double whammy. And then, you know, as I just mentioned, the potential for benefactors whose personal assets may be getting crushed and or um, businesses suffering through a global recession you know, the, again, that's why the having the financing and the liquidity already locked down is a huge, a huge benefit. So I suspect uh, Celtic are, um, I wouldn't say uniquely, but they, they are a rare animal within the industry uh, that, that they've um, run in, in, you know, uh, that, 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 that's the, I'll, I'll get uh, Alan's 
back up here. That is probably the big uh, positive thing you can say about the Lawwell era was that um, that that relatively conservative fiscal management, um, you know, if it's pursued, and that's why, you know, gambling on 10 in a row the way they did in the context of a pandemic was so kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it, it really keeps us in this strategic position of strength that uh, we can capitalize on um, in a lot of different ways um, if, if, it, if it's used in, in a way to do that, meaning that if it's used strategically uh, to, to, to advance that competitive advantage, then I think it could be a real, a real positive. Yeah. I mean, so Neil, just Alan here, just to add, add a few things. So, I mean, there's the, the, the significant headwinds there, right? I mean, you know, so as well as the, the fact that, you know, that they've got genuine, whatever, whatever you may think about them, they've got genuine fans in their boardroom and they've been, you know, funding that club by pilfering their own wealth. Now these are these are not these are rich men by my standards, but and I don't know I don't know about your situation, but they're probably not rich men by you know football club standards in terms of you know a Champions League football club and keeping it on the road year after year after year. What Celtic needs to do is concentrate on, on what they're doing and, and doing it as well as they can because Celtic have got an enormous inbuilt structural advantage that isn't going to change anytime soon. Okay, ten thousand extra season ticket holders every each and every season plus the money that comes through the gates by having those extra uh, customers, uh, you know, paying and buying burgers and God knows what every week, gives Celtic a, a £10 million advantage pretty much each and every season, each and every season. And it's, it's, you know, that's why, you know, they've been running at a loss of £10 million plus each and every season because it's the only way they can try and get parity with Celtic. Before that, it was EBTs. That was the only way they could achieve parity essentially was was by cheating right so you know, let's call it what it is so that that structural advantage is, is still there and it's going to continue to be there because you know they're not going to build a bigger stadium um so you know that 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 is that is that is the reality of it um also things like you know a lot of football clubs ran up significant um arrears with uh, hmrc during uh, the pandemic that's those days those days are gone right so that that money is 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 being demanded back so I expect if we ever get to see uh, their accounts, you can expect to see a large payment going going in that direction for the arrears that were built up over over the COVID period. Um, and then you know we've got the the Ashley settlement to factor in, which is I'm led to believe is significant. Um, and you know, listen, Van Bronckhurst said it himself when he was uh, interviewed after the Ajax game: there is no money, there is no money in the accounts, despite despite a once in a generation season. Of, of reaching a European final, selling players for significant amounts of money, huge compensation for a management team. It looks like, and, and we don't know for sure, but it looks like, you know, that, that you know, what we saw, they, 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 net, they net took in 16 million over the transfer window, right? So there's, there isn't loose change <laughs> rattling about there and anything but, and there are, as I say, a number of serious headwinds. But as I say, what, what, what I would ask you to focus on is the fundamental structural advantages that Celtic have got. And not only that, we've got a, a, a young team full of players who have got, if, if anything, are only increasing in value. Uh, whereas across the city, uh, you know, apart from arguably Camera, I, I don't know that they've got any real resaleable assets at all. Uh, so it, it, Celtic need to keep their eye on the ball. They need to support the manager. They need to get in place the structures behind the scenes that make it a self-sustaining and predictable and successful and modern football club. And if they do that, then, and as, and as James says, you know, we're structured in a way that allows us to take advantage of, of distressed clubs. It's, an, it's a nasty business. And I've said this before. We took advantage of Ruben Kazan. By, we, 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 we literally stole Haksivanovic and Abelgard off them. And they're two very, very good young players. Um, and, you know, and that's what, and that's, it's, it's a classic move, you know, it's, they were a distressed company and we saw an opportunity and we, we took those players and there's going to be a lot of that in the, in the next uh, year or so. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Cheers for that, Neil. Um, if anybody else wants to, uh, put up your hand and ask a question or, or give an opinion on anything that we're speaking about, uh, do be like Neil and stick up your hand. We have about 15, 20 minutes left or so, I would say, because 
I'll be honest, I'm bursting for the toilet. And uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a man coming to look at my car to see if he, if he wants to buy it. So um, we have about 15, 20 minutes before I actually have to, to get off and, and leave. Um, grander conversation that would probably end up taking us uh, much longer than the 15, 20 minutes that we have left. But uh, without going down the road of what happened and he said, she said of, of the past, um, if something catastrophic were to happen here in the uh, Scottish League with, uh, I, I honestly, I think there are more clubs in, than than Rangers that people might not think of that might be in distress. There's reports in the Guardian of, of teams from the uh, EFL talking about potentially not even be, being able to host matches that go on later uh, over the winter because they can't afford to put on the, the headlights, which cost like £300 um, an hour to run. Uh, so we're talking about like some seriously t- uh, serious conditions for clubs in Scotland as well as those clubs in England, uh, be that a Livingston or St. Mirren or any of the other smaller clubs that are outside of, say, the, the top five biggest clubs in Scotland. I think there's more worrying, worrying signs on that. What are we going to do about that if something does go wrong with one of the big boys that aren't our closest neighbours because at, at some point being the biggest club and having the uh, extra cash that Celtic do have um, is there a responsibility on them to sort of protect some of the biggest institutions in Scotland that are not their direct rivals Boy, open it up uh a can of worms with that question. Holy crap. Um, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that gets really, that's the, one of the inherent issues when, you know, as I say, as, as the wave goes out, um, you find out who's, uh, not wearing shorts. <laughs> um, so that's what recessions do. Um, they're kind of an inherent feature, not a bug of market-based economies. Um, regardless of one's view on what their economic preferences as far as system goes, um, that is the reality. So, you know, who gets bailed out? Who does the bailing out? What's the prioritization of resources? Man, that you start getting getting into politics and um, just really complicated situations. So I, I don't know. I, that That's a really tough question, whether the SPFL, uh, role of the SFA. I mean, you know, you <laughs> that really gets difficult, Enda. Yeah, the only reason I ask that is not because I feel particular sympathy for any particular club in Scotland, but I think if you look at, say, the Premier League, for example, there it's absolutely undeniable at this point that the top six clubs should be paying to save some of the smaller clubs within the English league structure at this point in time. Because of the way that they have inverted the pyramid to suit them and protect them the entire way through, except like having manipulated the system to the point of the the super clubs within the the world and you know pointing towards the super league and trying to protect themselves above everything else. But I I do think being the biggest club, the biggest draw, the biggest money maker for the league, the biggest uh, pull in terms of the European coefficients, at some point you know. There is a responsibility there to make sure that the league that you're in survives, unless you're getting out of it. So, uh, I mean, I, I would have argued um, that perhaps the opportunity there was to have enhanced, you know, solidarity payments through, you know, entry into European competition, uh, because you know, even an extra couple of grand, hundred grand to the likes of a Motherwell or St Mirren is, is is pretty, you know, mission critical. Um, you know that would be to me a, a way of doing it uh, that is equitable. I mean, there are there are already solidarity payments that come through from UEFA, but it's not it's not very much. You know, given how much is is being spent. But then, if you're Celtic, you're arguing, well, you know, how do I how do we compete with Leipzig if we have to give money to Motherwell? You know, it's 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 very difficult, and you know we can we can we can provide more opportunities to Motherwell. I'm, and I'm not picking on Motherwell in particular, just because we have to be playing them next. Um, by sort of saying, well, if we're if we're competitive in Europe and winning games in Europe, and the coefficient's going up, then that means you've got more opportunity to get into Europe yourself, and therefore improve, you know, your 
business performance as well as your footballing performance. And that's the way that the markets work in terms of football, I guess. Um, you know, to sort of to, to have handouts, I suppose, based on sort of almost charity um, would, would be would be a bit tricky because, like you say, who who gets it? I mean, the situation in Scotland is also a little bit unique, as we saw ten years ago, and they changed the rules now, didn't they? They changed the rules around what happens to football clubs if they do go into uh, insolvency situations, um, such that I think you know Scotland has got a unique interpretation of what a football club actually is. <laughs> so whether a club could go into into difficulty again and effectively fold and then just magically restart again the next day as seems to be the case in Scotland, then maybe that's the way around it. Um, but I don't, I don't, as I said, I, don't, I think it'd be problematic, um, you know, having a sort of charity system. Frankly, uh, not not because you know I don't care about Scottish football. I do deeply. I, it's one of the, the most storied, interesting uh, football environments in in the world. I think, but uh, you know, Celtic are a well-run football club in a, in a way, and why should they be penalised for those that aren't? I suppose is the arch capitalist way of looking at it. Yeah, that's that's what it always comes down to um, in the end. Uh, moving away, I guess, from financials, but also staying on the financial sort of uh, side of things. I remember there was a couple of uh, back and forths that I had with somebody on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, um, but it was essentially about the setup of the Scottish League and European football and the argument around building something grander uh, if you are a team that are below South Dakota Rangers and the ability to do that. And the argument that I was making, James, was that with the setup now with the Europa League and the Conference League and the, the coefficient that Scott, Scotland currently has in European football, I think you could mount a challenge with a smartly run club in about five years with the amount of money that you can get from firstly getting into the Conference League, then building upon the Conference League, getting in, into getting past the group stages of the Conference League, getting payments for that, by building up millions in your own stock by getting into these European competitions, I think you could mount a challenge on the big two in Scotland within five or six years. Um, and I think Scotland is uniquely set up uh, for these teams to do so. I, I'd agree with you. And there's somebody who's already trying this, which is Queen's Park. <laughs> um, so they, they seem to be uh, the most ambitious um, club that I've seen anyway. Um, that are moving in that kind of direction, uh, kind of a, a, a maybe a mixture between what Bodo Glimt is doing and and uh, uh, Az uh, Azed Alkmar and and their director of football they brought in was actually came in from um, Az Alkmar and they have a fairly um, wealthy kind of benefactor that's been backing this so with some deep pockets so um, but yeah outside of that I, I have not seen anyone below Celtic and Rangers that are doing anything in an innovation perspective that suggests um, that kind of challenge. Um, maybe Queens Park will force it. Um, you know, you would think that the potential opportunity would drive some of it, uh, given how kind of well-known some of these trends are, but um, just hasn't happened yet on and Dundee United uh, Hibs um, you know they kind of excuse my uh, characterization they kind of half-ass it that they're not really doing it in a in a way that makes a whole lot of sense um, at least that I can tell so um, so yeah I, that to me is the one club and I mean they, they already they moved up one uh, one level and they're already competing in the championship and that's such a kind of knock them out slog kind of league um, that it wouldn't shock me if they get into the playoffs. And then if they do that, who the hell knows? Um, they could be up in the premiership next season. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, a, a, a four or five year from now timeline, I'd be shocked if they're not in the premiership and at least getting up to the point where they're competing with, um, you know, kind of that three through six group. I mean, Livingston's doing it reliably now um, where they're causing real problems for people and they're doing it on a shoestring budget uh, just by, you know, they haven't gone all in with this kind of modern project. They're just 
being smarter about how they deploy their resources. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's my, continues to be my pick. Yeah, but they're not alone. I think, you know, if you look at the Scottish Premier League now, I would, I would say Livingston, excellent at recruitment, uh, excellent at, at coming up with ways of playing, which makes absolute sense for the resources that they can deploy. Uh, you know, the way that St Mirren set up and, and the fact some of the players that they'd recruited, especially the two guys from Australia, excellent pieces of recruitment. Um, Ross County, every year, recruit smartly or have done over the last three or four years. They have to pretty much rebuild a team. Even Motherwell, uh, you know, have, have, have been pretty smart in how they've recruited. None of those teams are ever going to be big enough, I suspect, to, to challenge a European level. What's frustrating for me is that, you know, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs and, and Dundee United, uh, you know, are just, are, just, are just so badly run. And, this, you know, they've got huge potential to be, you know, serious football clubs that could actually make it make a difference in Europe. They've all got the potential to have crowds of 20, 25,000 regularly of, of, of running, you know, running. And you think of football clubs around Europe that have got that are of that size, especially in, in Scandinavia. You know, there's no, there's no excuse for them not to be smart about how they set up their operations, the way that they, they recruit, the way that they scout, the, the philosophy, the, the consistency of model of coaching through the, through the, from the academy onwards, etc., you know their 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 business player trading model. There's there's no there's, there's plenty of examples out there for them to to copy. I know it's not easy. I know it's not like a case of just clicking your finger and it all magically happens. It takes a lot of work. But you've got to have the vision and the desire and the you know to to to, to actually you know, create that blueprint and that framework in the first place. And then you know the, you've got to have a plan and then and then you've got to execute it. And you might execute it badly and you might make mistakes. But at least if you're on the right road, you know it's it's not going to be linear. Um, as I say. It's just frustrating because the, the, the biggest clubs in the Premier League seem to be the worst run, <laughs> and the little and it's the little ones that are you know I think making make have, have, as, as James said great examples of of, of uh, certainly on the recruitment side. I'm not sure about the infrastructure behind that, but certainly on the recruitment side, uh, more than the business side, I would say they're, they're doing well. I, I think the other real challenge is that um, the industry just does not pay very well. And when you get into the operations side, um, and, you know, pretty much any non-player uh, level of staff that you're going to have, it, it's difficult to build a, 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 an organization of talented, hardworking people with um, the amount of money that, that is available for compensation. And to do that at scale, meaning that, having a bunch of clubs all competing for the same talent pool within a market, you know, it, it's just, it's difficult. Um, so yeah, to, to your point out, this is not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult to do. Um, and, you know, having that human capital and buy-in and vision, all of this stuff takes a lot and, and to do it consistently and persistently uh, over a longer period of time and when there's bumps along the road, you don't throw people overboard and, you know, panic and because the, you know, your supporters are going berserk understandably at times because maybe it's having a bit of a bump on the road. You know, it's, it's, and that's where I see things like Aberdeen. You see some of that, um, that stick to from the owner, McCormick, but I don't see the plan there, right? So there's, you got to put it all together. You got to have the culture, you got to have the talent, you got to have the, the human capital, and you've got to have the leadership dedicated to sticking with it. Um, and if you miss any big parts of that, it's pr pretty tough. Yeah, 100%, but um, we shall wait and see. Uh, I think that's where we will wrap this up because um, I actually I just need to wrap up because I need to go. Uh, so unless James and Alan want to continue it on without me, um, I'm going to put on a dripping water waterfall soundtrack right now and force you to keep going. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you guys want to continue on and I'll leave? Or no, nah, I think we're we're good. I you know I don't, I don't know what's all with, with all these uh, uh, shy people in the audience. Uh, you know, come up and mix it up. We're not we're not going to bite, but that's okay. We did this to experiment. Well, you know, we don't know if we're going to keep doing it or doing it again. It was kind of we got an off week here. Let's see how the spaces thing works and how it goes. So hopefully it wasn't too horrible. Um, you know, we thought it would be a good opportunity to, to interact with with uh, people that listen to the show. Um, so thank you, Neil, for for uh, having the courage to come up uh, and asking a great question. And uh, hopefully we can get some more people to do it next time if, if there is a next time. 
Okay. Uh, we shall wrap it up then. Uh, Alan, James, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks everyone for joining. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, everybody, for uh, hopping on this call. And um, we'll send out a tweet if we're going to do it again. Um, we'll have actual football to look forward to um, and look back at, actually, uh, on next week's uh, podcast. So we will see. I'll, I'll let everybody know if we are doing a review of the Motherwell game plus a, a preview of the Leipzig game or if it's going to be a double review. Uh, we'll see how it um uh, it works out for, for everyone's schedule over the next uh, week or so. But until then, uh, thanks for uh, listening and we'll chat to you later on. Good luck. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 